Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. All right, well, it feels like we're, uh, we're almost in the summertime. It's starting to have that vibe, summertime. And um, I'm, I'm going to, you know, everybody loves that finding God in the music. And I always do it in August, but I'm going to be gone some in August, so I'm going to move it up to July. And so, so it's coming sooner this year. Uh, you'll like that. But during the month of June, I want to preach on strangers in a strange land. Strangers in a strange land. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that heaven would invade pray that heaven would invade here today among the young and those that are not as young as they once were. I pray that heaven would invade. Lord, bring forth your word. Help me to be your faithful servant. Help us to see that which is unseeable with the natural eye, but seeable by faith. And, O God, from whom all good proceeds, grant that by your inspiration we may think those things that are right, And by your merciful guiding may do them through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. The book of Hebrews, by some unknown author, is thought to be an excellent example of early Christian sermons. In other words, it's thought to be basically a sermon that is typical of the sermons of the early church that made it into the canon of the New Testament. And as such, it is a prime example of how early Christians drew upon the Old Testament. Of course, for the early Christians, the Old Testament was simply the Bible. It was the only scriptures they had, but they read the Hebrew Bible as now fully revealed in the light of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now, probably the most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews is Hebrews chapter 11. This is the chapter that begins, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. It reminds me of the scripture reading we just heard today. Out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the end of that chapter, the end of our reading, says that we look not at things which are seen, but things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. How do you look at things that are unseen? It's paradoxical. How do you do that? Well, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So this is a chapter about faith, the life of faith. And then the chapter goes through some of the highlights of the great heroes of those that live the life of faith in what we call the Old Testament. It's going to be a little coughing today. I just got a little cough today. In fact, I'm going to get some water and bring it up here. That's why I'm using this uh, handheld because there's nothing like coughing into one of those little mics that's right there. 
It's awful. All right, so we have in Hebrews 11 these, well, the, the, the preacher in Hebrews 11 sets forth these heroes. Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Noah, skip Noah, Abel, Abel Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, etc. Because these people saw by faith, and then oriented their life to walk by faith, they became exiles and strangers on the earth. Hebrews 11. They confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. For here we have no enduring city but we are looking for the city that is to come. I want to return one more time to this dream that I've been telling you about that I had last month. That it seems like a significant dream and helped me anyway. I dreamed that I was in this big city somewhere. Kind of felt like Barcelona, maybe it was. But that's not the point. It was just some city, and I was beholding the cityscape before me. There were the buildings and the shops and the restaurants, the streets, the avenues, the cars, the pedestrians. It was just a city. Not a perfect city, but a good city. And there it was before me, and suddenly there were these sirens going off. Sirens. Sirens that caught everyone's attention, and everyone in my dream knew what the sirens meant. They, they knew that it meant kingdom come. Perusia. The appearing of the Lord. The arrival of that for which we've waited. And then as the sirens were going off, I was looking at the cityscape, and it seemed as if the scene that I was seeing was made of fabric and it was being torn away. It was being torn apart, revealing behind it another city, not altogether different, but so much more substantial that it was enduring, that suddenly I realized that what I had seen all my life and thought was so eternal and enduring and reality itself was actually only a thin, faded fabric compared to that which is to be revealed. I had that dream, and it seems to set up this sermon. Those who see by faith and walk by faith necessarily have a fraught relationship with this world, this age that we inhabit. On the one hand, we're not trying to flee or escape God's good earth. This is our home. I mean, I don't know how many times I, I thought being in those national parks, Grand Teton and Yellowstone last week, this is good. God has done good. This is good creation. And so the blessed hope is not that we're going, but that Christ is coming. And so there is a sense in which we are at home here. But on the other hand, the world as it is, 
That is the structure of human civilization, the arrangement, how the world is ran. Politics and governments and economics and all of that um, is not our true homeland. And once we catch a glimpse by faith of kingdom come, by faith we see kingdom come, that makes us strangers in a strange land. And we begin to search for our true homeland. And this, in fact, was the quest of Abraham. That's what I want to think about this morning. Strangers in a strange land, but I want to, I want to zero in on the quest of Abraham. Hebrews 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. Now, the story of Abraham is set 4,000 years ago. It's a long, long time ago. 2,000 years before Christ. So the story of Abraham is set in a time as far removed from Christ as we are. Halfway between Abraham and our day is the day of Christ. So 4,000 years ago. And Abraham lived in the city of Ur. The city of Ur in, um, well, what today we would call southern Iraq but it was the emerging Babylonia. And so it's going to eventually be swallowed up by Babylon and be part of Babylon, the empire. But this is where Abraham lives. Now, Ur. I say southern Iraq. I say Ur. You think, you know, probably some little, you know, squalid, arid village. No. Ur, 4,000 years ago, was the largest, most populous, most advanced, most sophisticated city in the world. It's where you wanted to live 4,000 years ago. It was the cutting edge of civilization, of art, of progress, of technology. I've seen some of the artwork from Ur 4,000 years ago in the British Museum in London. And you just look at it and you go, yeah, these were sophisticated people. These were not backwards people. Uh, the city of Ur, 4,000 years ago, had uh, a sewer system and running water. I'm all for that. <laughs> and so this is where Abraham lives. He lives in a, he lives in a place where probably the, the Urites said, we're number one. This is the place to be. They were on top. Now, according to Jewish tradition, Abraham's father, Terah, was a crafter of idols. That Abraham's father was one who made idols. Of course, you know, Ur belongs to the Gentile world that is completely worshiping their various pantheons of gods and goddesses. They, they have their idols to serve that end. The chief god uh, of Ur was Sin Nana, the, uh, the moon god. 
And it's a God that has to do with the, the repetition of life and the cycles of life. That life is kind of a circle. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun, as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes. That's, that's sort of centered with the moon god of Ur. And the tradition, at least, among the Jewish people is that Abraham's father was a crafter of idols. We are told, though, in the book of Joshua, that in fact, Abraham worshipped the gods of his fathers. I mean, why would he worship anything else? He's just born into this world. He is probably in his own mind lucky enough to have been born in the greatest place on earth, the wealthiest, the richest, the most advanced, the most mightiest military and all of that. And he worships the gods that all of the people of Ur, including his own ancestry, worships. But then a voice called to him. And this was not a voice coming from one of the idols in his father's workshop. This was the voice of the one who is the I am who I am. I mean, Abraham is going to become the father of monotheism, the worship of one God. But it begins when he's in Ur, still worshiping the many gods of the Gentile pantheon. And somehow that God, the true God, the living God, breaks through all of that. And he calls Abraham to do something absurd, daring, bold, reckless, ridiculous. Abraham, I want you to leave this place. Yeah, but it's the best place. I want you to leave it. I'm going to send you to another place. A place that in eons to come I will, I will give. But you're just going to go sort of be a pilgrim. Just see it. I want you to go to this place that, that ultimately I'll give you. Where is it? I'm not going to tell you yet. Just, just start moving west. Just head west and, and uh, you, you'll, you'll find it as you walk it. Just head west. By the way, this is the first westward migration in the story the Bible tells. Everything up to now has been east. East, east of Eden, east into the land of Nod, east into the plains of Shinar where they built the Tower of Babylon. Now for the first time, there's a change. There's a, a repentance, a new direction. And there's a westward move. And Abraham begins to move in a new direction. He's breaking the cycle, you know. The moon god with all of its cycles and, and everything's just repetition. There's nothing really new. It's just over and over. But now the cycle is broken as Abraham follows the voice that calls him in a new direction. It's the direction into the setting sun. Not the rising sun, the setting sun. It's a journey into darkness. It's a journey into the unknown. That's why it's faith. It's probably related to the Jewish tradition of the new day beginning not at sunrise but at sundown. So each newness begins with a new darkness, a new unknownness. 
But Abraham is willing to do this, and he moves in a new direction. And this is really, this is really the beginning of the salvation story, of God's deep intervention into the human predicament to bring salvation. Verse 10, for he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now remember, Abraham is a citizen of the greatest country in the world. He lives in the most prosperous, most advanced city in the world. But something has happened in Abraham because he's heard the voice. And Abraham is now looking for another city. A city that has foundations. A city whose societal structure would be designed and implemented by God. I mean, that's just a question to ask yourself. If God was really running the world, if God were in charge, if God was running the world, do you think anything might be different? you think we might arrange some things different? I mentioned the other day, we have the dual phenomenon of billionaires and 1.3 billion people living on less than $2 a day. Billionaires and more than a billion people living in abject poverty. You think God might say, oh, you know, I'm not digging this so much. So Abraham is not looking for just the greatest version of what he's already known. Because what happens is, if you just trace it back, it all comes from Cain, who kills his brother because he calls him other and turns him into enemy. And he kills his brother. And then he moves east of Eden into the land of Nod and builds the first city. And that becomes the pattern that's put on repeat. You know, nothing new. It's the same thing. We pretend that it's new, but it's just a new name for the same thing. But now Abraham is breaking out of that and he's launching in to an attempt to arrive at some true newness. But he has to do it by faith. He doesn't really know where he's going. It's a journey into darkness, into the unknown. But Abraham saw it. He didn't see it like you would see that which is around you at present. He saw it by faith, in the distance. And thus he was content to live as a stranger in a strange land. I mean, you understand that he was at home in Ur, as a citizen of the greatest place on earth until he heard the voice. And he says, I, I have come to believe there's something else out there. There is a true God. There is a living God that's not an idol. That is not fashioned by the hands of man. This God is the creator God. And this God is going to build a city. He's going to design and build a way of being human. I want to find it. And so he launches out. And all of a sudden, he's no longer at home in the world as it is. And so he lives the rest of his life as a stranger, as an exile, as a pilgrim, as a foreigner, as a stranger in a strange land. But he saw it. 
by faith. Jesus says so. Remember in John 8, Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now remember, Abraham lives 2,000 years before Jesus. But Jesus says, Abraham, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And they said, whoa, you're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? He says, verily, verily. Before Abraham was, I am. So that at least informs us who the one who builds the city of God is. His name is Jesus. Now, Abraham wasn't trying to change the world. Abraham and Sarah, because we got to talk about Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were just, they weren't trying to change the world, you understand? They're just living in their tents as strangers in a strange land. And while doing so, they were holding on by faith to the seemingly improbable promise of God that against all odds, they in their old age would become the father and mother of many nations. They're in their old age. They have not had children. But by faith, they hold on to the improbable promise of God that they will become the father and mother of many nations. And in fact, they ended up changing the world. I mean, God's salvation first really begins to enter the world through the lives of Abraham and Sarah. But they weren't trying to change the world. They just were living by faith and sort of, sort of accidentally. I mean, who, who, has, who has had more influence on shaping a world that moves toward the living God than Abraham? Well, those who attempt to change the world too directly, they get up in the morning and say, I think I'm going to change the world. Those who attempt to change the world too directly just end up becoming the world. They don't change the world. They become the world. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Wanting to rule the world is not the same thing as changing the world. Wanting to have your way is not really changing the world. It's just changing the name of the boss. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Everybody wants to rule the world. I got all kinds of songs I can work with here. The people of the faith of Abraham changed the world while not becoming the world. You know, I had a dream many years ago about being in New York City looking for the faith of Abraham and then finding Abraham in a used bookstore and had a conversation with him. But the people who live according to the faith of Abraham change the world indirectly by simply being a people of faith while not becoming the world. Those who actually change the world must first be willing to be strangers in a strange land. I mean, if you don't want to be somewhat strange in the world as it is, then Go live in Ur. Because we do make some strange claims. And we're sort of unabashed about making our, our strange claims. 
that in fact Jesus is Lord. And that there is a new kingdom that is coming. That is one sense it's present and we live as citizens of it right now. Sort of expatriate citizens, colonists of this kingdom that comes from the heavens. But that it will come. And we make that claim boldly. Those who attempt, though, to change the world by the ways of the world just become the world. We're called to something else. You see, those who live by faith, and you understand we're called to live by faith, right? Those who live by faith see what everyone else sees, but they see more than that. Faith is not a blindness. I mean, we're not blind to the realities of the problems of this age. Along with everyone else, we see that the world is not right, that it's deeply broken. That much of the world is arranged around what we're called not to love. Love not the world, nor the things of the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, uh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away because it's temporal, with its lust thereof. We see that the world isn't right, and we even have some inclination towards what's wrong with it. That it's mostly the system itself. I'm not talking about every person. I'm talking about the system itself is energized by greed. That's what makes the world go round. The broken world. And that's why it tramples so many people under its feet and brings so much sorrow and injustice. Because it's fueled by pride and greed, largely. So along with everyone else, we see that the world is not right and that it is deeply broken. But we don't despair because we confess that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I believe the world will be saved. I'm not giving up on the world. I'm not a cynic. I'm not a pessimist. I'm not despairing. Why? Well, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. If if all God was going to do was condemn the world, didn't he to send his son to do that? Just any old mean-spirited prophet could handle that. Just get one of those minor prophets, you know. Get Obadiah. He'll come condemn the world for you. No. God sent his son. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes on him might not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. So I'm not a pessimist. I'm not despairing. I'm not a cynic. The world will be saved because Jesus is the savior of the world. And by faith we see the city whose architect and builder is God. I mean, behind that faded fabric that for a moment may look like it's very real, very substantial, and all there is or can be, I have come to understand that behind that faded fabric is the real thing. The enduring city. The city that is glorious. The city that that is for earth, but it comes from the heavens. What we learn from Abraham is that faith is a journey an ongoing quest. And after Abraham and Sarah left Ur, they lived in tents for the rest of their life. I I don't mind a little camping now and then. But I don't want to live in a tent the rest of my life. And I can promise you, Perry absolutely does not want to live in a tent the rest of her life. Remember, they come from a sophisticated, advanced, prosperous city. They've paid off their mortgage. They've got a nice house. And now they live the rest of their lives in tents. It's, it's, Abraham, it's one of Abraham's ways of testifying, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
because he's, he's staying on the move. He could have gone back, could have gone back and got one of those nice houses back there in Earth, but he doesn't. He stays in the promised land that he doesn't own a piece of it. But he's just, as a sojourner, as a pilgrim, he's walking through the length and breadth of that promised land, living in tents, holding on to the promise of God. He could have gone back. That's what it says in verse 13. All of these died in faith without receiving the promises. This is talking about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, their families. All of these died in faith without having received the promises But from a distance, they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one, not one in heaven, but one that comes from heaven. The one that's designed by the God of the heavens for the earth. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. Amen. Well, until the sirens sound in my dream or the trumpet blows as we read in scripture, we keep seeking the city of God. We stay on the move even as we get older. I like having all these young people in here today. I like their energy. I like all their whoos. I like that. Give me one. <laughs> Woo. There you go. See, I like that. I like that. Uh, I, I began following Jesus in earnest. I mean, I'm following Jesus when I was 15. That's pretty young. Donna, you remember? You were about the same age, about 15, and we're following Jesus. And uh, I believe in that. But there's also something about getting older and still following Jesus and pressing on. I mean, we stay on the move even as we get, we, we don't get to retire from seeking God. I mean, we learned that from Abraham and Sarah. So, so in one sense, our theology should be tent-like. We need tent theology. Foldable, flexible, portable, movable. If it ceases, I mean, if if our theology calcifies into rigid certitudes, if it fossilizes into inflexible formulas, it ceases to be a quest, it stops being a journey, and really it's no longer really faith, it's just a belligerent opinion. (laughs) One of the saddest things that I see is people who are really no longer on the quest of faith. They're just faith. They're just sitting around on Facebook fighting about their favorite version of Babylon. No, no, I want to I want to keep seeking the city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And faith is a living orientation of the soul that pushes us onward and it requires movement. Faith is the orientation of our soul that will move us continually toward the city of God, which is our true homeland. And this is what C.S. Lewis expresses at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, the very last volume. At the end of that, in the last battle, we read, I have come home at last. 
This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. Come further up. Come further in. Stand up with me. Let that be your prayer this morning. Come further up. Come further in. I want to go further up. I want to go further in. I don't want to stay just on, right on the edge of the borders of the city of God. I want to come further up. I want to come further in. I want to keep moving. I don't want to settle. I don't want my faith to calcify. I don't want all of my thinking about God to fossilize. It's a tent. It's portable, flexible, foldable, movable. And I can move with God. I, it contains treasures. It contains the treasures of, of knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we have those treasures and we take them with us. But the tent itself is flexible, foldable, portable, movable, so that we can stay on the journey. Maybe you just lift your hands for a moment. Lord, we lift our hands as a gesture of reaching out to you. Lord, whether we're, whether we're 15 or 85 or whatever we are, we want to be on this journey. We don't want to be seduced into believing that Ur or its contemporary versions are where we're going to really find the city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And so we press on and we stay on the journey. We're going where we don't really know, but we know that Jesus is the one that's building it. And so we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. It's a journey into the unknown. It's a journey into darkness that ultimately arrives at the city of light. But it's a journey that we, that we take by faith. Lord, I ask that you would renew our faith here today. And that we would not look for some favored version of Babylon. We would turn our back on that and say, no, we're going to seek the city of God. We're going to seek our true homeland. We're going to seek the city coming from the heavens where Jesus is Lord. The city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Help us, Lord, to be willing to live here and now as strangers in a strange land because we seek our true homeland. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. All right, well, let's get ready to, to come to the table of the Lord and participate in the body and blood of Christ. And would you join with me now in first confessing our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's confess our sins and receive the forgiveness of the Lord. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done, 
and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. shed for you.